Welcome to In the Deep. I'm your host, Catherine Ingram. The following is excerpted from a session of Dharma Dialogues held in Lennox Head, Australia in January 2018. It's called Eros and Thanatos. Yesterday, I took my nine-year-old neighbor to the beach, actually to this rock area where um, I've been snorkeling a few times. He'd never been uh, there before. So we went and we climbed down the rocks and we got in and he was very timid about going out very far, but after a point, he, he... ventured further and further out with me. And we were happily snorkeling for about an hour. And we'd gotten further out to a sort of uh, far away set of the, of the reef, rocks at the reef. And I thought I saw an eel. I pointed it out. Um, that kind of freaked him out a bit. So we were... We were headed back when suddenly he started screaming. But I mean, really screaming. Just the most blood-curdling sounds. Everyone on shore is, you know, getting... We're obviously very, very freaked out, not knowing what's happened. So I'm trying to get him to tell me, where were you stung, knowing he'd been stung by something? And finally, in his screams, he said, all over. So I then thought, okay, it's a blue bottle. It's probably a blue bottle thing. Um, what are they called? Tentacles or something. Um, blue bottles, for those who don't know, are similar to, well, I think it is the same thing as Portuguese man of war. Um, so he's screaming and screaming and screaming. We're trying to get to shore, and then we have to climb over rocks, which you have to be very careful on these rocks. Uh, some friends of mine happened to be there, and were helping get our stuff together, get me out of the rock area, and him, and he's inconsolable. He screams all the way in the, dri- the entire drive home. He's screaming that they're in his skin, that it's in him, it's in his skin, and I'm saying, don't worry, it's going to go away. You're not going to be in pain for long. Don't worry. He's screaming, no, no, it's in me. It's in my skin. <laughs> we drive up here. He leaps out of the car. I barely stopped the car. He goes running, screaming into his house. I had to park the car and like get in to talk to his father about what had happened. His father was pretty nonplussed. He's an ocean guy, and so he knew immediately that it was probably a blue bottle. Okay, so about an hour later, my young friend comes over. He's much calmed down. He's now wearing these patches, these icy herbal patches that his dad put on him. And I'm giving him lemonade and toast. Um, and we're chatting so I said, we talked about the incident, you know. So I said, so I wanted to kind of shift his attention, as is my want. I wanted to shift his attention into something pleasant. So I said, but tell me, because we'd had all these adventures out before the, the screaming incident. Um, I said, tell me, what was the best part of your day today? And to my surprise, he says, getting stung. 
I said, no, the best part, the best part of your day. He said, getting stung. I said, why? Why would that be the best part? And he said, it made me think about things. So he then went on to elaborate in his nine-year-old way, and I'm going to have to only paraphrase this because it was a little bit um, hard to follow, <laughs> but I, I understood that he was saying that the boy he is now is different than the boy who went into the water. <laughs> I know, it's very, it was very philosophical for a nine-year-old, I thought. That's kind of what he was saying, that he was a changed man. <laughs> I started thinking about the Freudian perspective of Eros and Thanatos. Eros being the pleasure impulse, Thanatos being the death or destructive impulse. And how powerful that is in us, both of them. Both of them are powerful as conditioned uh, impulses in us. The impulse toward pleasure, the impulse toward life, creativity, uh, sensuality, etc. And Thanatos... Weirdly, our fascination with, with death or with destruction. Think about, for instance, well, think about the world of entertainment, so-called. How much destruction we watch, how many, you know, crime things or murders. Or even in, even in real life, the, the fascination, the kind of mesmerizing effect of, say, watching the Twin Towers come down. How many times you saw those images and there's something very... It's horrifying, of course, that goes without saying, but there's also something kind of weirdly captivating about watching the, that kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's... Or how people in older times, you know, went to the Roman Colosseum to see just the worst of humanity being destructive. It's interesting to... Um, feel into those impulses within ourselves, right? It's interesting to acknowledge them and to not try to, you know, sort of spiritually up-level too much to realize that that is part of the conditioned human uh, way that, that, that things, certain things fascinate us in a, in a strange way things that we might find abhorrent. But of course, even though that may is allowed, even though that's understood, there's also a possibility of also allowing a disinterest. Even though the conditioning is there, even though there's an impulse to it, allowing once one to incline the attention elsewhere. So I notice even in my own case, in watching certain things, certain series or movies or whatever, I'll notice a certain attraction, a fascination initially to watch something very dark and very troubling. But I'm noticing also an overriding coming uh, to play that's basically saying no, 
I actually don't want to put these images in my mind. I don't want this as the uh, um, like memory rollout. And you can do it in big and small ways, whether it's focusing on troubling imagery, memories, future pictures, or just simply in whatever it is you're being so-called entertained by. You can instead choose peace. <laughs> so more and more that is becoming for myself the, um, the choice I make, just even with, with wherever my attention is landing. I'll redirect it if it's not if it doesn't have a fragrance of something peaceful. It's not to say I, I, I certainly can't deny a lot of the things that, that occur or the troubles that come visiting, uh, but when left to its own devices, when the mind is just floating about freely and it's not required to be on any particular subject, if it drifts into, by conditioned force, if it drifts into a dark alley, I'll redirect it. I'll choose peace. I was just having a... I was just being curious that noticing how easy it is or comparatively easy it is to choose peace and to make that choice about images when I'm feeling feeling peace and yeah. quiet but if there's something disturbing or something that's on my horizon that's not so peaceful or that I'm feeling anxious about it's easy for me to feel the pull or the distraction of that image and and that that thing that then starts a thought process which creates a feeling which goes into a thought and feeling and then it escalates very fast. Yeah. And uh, I really love the story of the wisdom of your nine-year-old friend because recently I've just, I've just noticed that some things that have happened recently to me which feel feel traumatic in some ways. There's such an opportunity for great growth in that if I can stay calm with the thing. Yes. And see myself through and then look back and go, would I have chosen the easy way on that? And I wouldn't be who I am now mm -hmm. without, you know, making that choice and going actually that wasn't a pleasant experience for me. It was kind of traumatic, but actually I stayed with it and then looked back and went, wow, I'm, there's this piece of transformation there for me. Yeah. 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 Indeed. That's, I think, you know, if you, if one allows it or one has that sort of uh, lucky nature in a sense that just keeps you know, when there's, when there's a shock to the system of any sort or a loss or a difficulty mm. or that it's all kind of grist for the mill. It becomes mm. very, uh, 
you know, uh, um, Trungpa Rinpoche once said something like, uh, suffering is the manure for the ground of wisdom. <laughs> you know, and so it's, it's that kind of inclination to use, use it or allow it to be seen as experienced as insight, you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm really appreciating and that young boy's wisdom. I mean, imagine, imagine having that wisdom at nine. I know. To get that. Exactly, I know. You know I was that's so, stunning. It's just a stunning thing. I was, and to be supported, you know, like not just you supported, but he's obviously his father must have held him in such a way where it was possible for him to make that connection, you know, whether whether it was a word or whether it was just not a space held for that child. So yes. he was able to see that yes. so clearly. Yes, yeah. it, was, it was actually very touching with regard to the father because one in his screams, you know, on the way, all the way, he was screaming, I want my father. Mm. Um, so it was a very sweet and touching thing to see him in the arms of his father at the yeah. <laughs> in the entry of the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, but to um, to not resist when there is something very very painful, when there's a deep loss, when there's you know to really let let grief and difficulty mm. be your allies. Mm. Right, use use them. Yeah, it's all previews for the big one. Um, what did he say changed for him? I'm interested. It wasn't that he said specifically um, what had changed. It was like he was saying he was he himself was changed. Mm. Like literally, that that the boy who went into the water was not the same boy who is now around. Mm. That's, I mean, he said this in his own language, and I yeah. can't really remember exactly how he yeah. said it, but I, that was the message he was saying to me. Mm. I was so surprised by that answer. I thought he had misunderstood what I had asked. Yeah. You know, I thought he, I thought he had thought I had said what was the worst thing that happened mm. when he said I'm being stung. I said, no, the best thing. <laughs> I told my brother this story. And before I could tell my brother the answer that the boy had said, I, so I said to my brother, I had asked him, you know, what was the best part of your day? And my brother said, was it the part before he saw you? <laughs> yeah, I wondered if I wondered if he was yeah <laughs> if he was upset about going there in the first place. Well, he did beautiful. say during the screams, "I'm never yeah. going to into the ocean again." <laughs> <laughs> But <laughs> I'm sure his dad will coax him a bit. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to ask this question. I'll just try. I mean, I've been feeling very... I, I kind of live with this constant state of anxiety um, that... You know, just about is this the right thing and is, are these the right decisions mm. and 
am I making the right decisions, uh, you know, and it feels like there are so many decisions and choices to be made that it's almost paralysing and then, um, you know, I'll just let the choices kind of happen in a way um, because it sometimes feels so... And I kind of alternate between either letting the the choices just happen or then trying to kind of manufacture something that will make me feel safe and some kind of system or structure that will make me feel safe and and at ease. Um, And so there feels like a tension there, I guess, between kind of going with the letting life happen and, um, you know, having some sense of mastery or control. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on... Yeah, well, I think that's a very common experience, uh, really, you know, that we we try to control a few things that, Mm. you know, might make life easier and, and more pleasant and... And yet we also recognize that so much is out of our control, mm. right? And if you're someone who's a little prone to anxiety, mm. um, that can produce uh, quite a state of discomfort. Um, I would say my recommendation, my primary recommendation, is to not fight with the fact that you have anxiety arising um, let it arise if it does arise it's coming on its own um, but again to try to direct the attention a bit when you're in the midst of the anxiety arising just because it's an unpleasant experience and so if you can alleviate a bit of it that's recommended and the way that is helpful I find is a kind a, a, even just the word surrender to what is helps. So in other words, you begin to realize, okay, I had a plan for how things, I would prefer things to go, but they're not going that way now, mm. let's say. You know? Yeah. We're confronted with that situation quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <coughs> if there can be some just little adjustment in that moment where you, re- where you realize it's actually not going to go the way that I want it to go, that moment is the moment of sweet surrender, right? Where you basically say, okay, it's going the way it's going. Now I can either fight this and make myself more upset and more anxious, or I can start to just allow those that feeling of... I'm going to go the way that it's going to start to sort of wash in. Not to make it a big fight about having the anxiety arise, Mm. but that those two things can can coexist and that the attention starts to uh, subsume the old story of I wanted it to go another way and now I'm very anxious about this Mm. into okay, this is how it's going to be going. That's especially useful in situations that are not sort of acute biological threat. Yeah. Right? Mm. If you're in an acute biological threat, everything in your system is is in rebellion, and that's just how we're built. Yeah, of course. I'm not talking about those. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, you wanted a certain job, it didn't happen. You wanted a certain 
something you were trying to purchase, you're not able to, whatever, those mm. kind of things where mm. it's not an immediate physical threat. Mm. It's, it's an idea of how you wished it would go. Hmm. They're putting in a new horrible development somewhere. You you do you you fight the good fight. You go to the council meetings. You do all those things. Uh, they're still going to win. You know those kinds of adjustments whereby you know you can either make yourself sick or you can surrender. Not in apathy, hmm. uh, but in reality. That if you if 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 the deed is done. Right. One of my um, friends who's an anti-war activist, when the U.S. invaded Iraq, she and her small cadre at that time of anti-war activists were going to Iraq a lot prior to the invasion. And they were trying to speak, you know, back home to the media here, trying to stop it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, as it led up to the invasion... I'm not even going to call it a war. I won't uh, dignify it as a war. It was an invasion. Um, as it was leading up to it, um, one of the team was crying. She was just crying. And she was saying to the, to the leader of this group, you know, we're going to lose this. We're going to lose this. We, we're not going to We're not going to prevail. And her, her friend said, yes, we're going to lose this one. We'll fight for the next one now. Mm. And I just thought that switch was so brilliant, you know. So you just give all, you know, you're, you're constantly just on the side of the good. You just give all your acts over. You do your best, right? Mm. And, then you, and then how quickly you can make that, that switch. One other thing that comes to mind to say also, though, is... That there's a there's a possibility of tuning into an okayness in your life, whereby the pictures of what you thought would be the ultimate okay and would allow you to really rest are surrendered. Mm. Those those get surrendered as well. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I've been thinking about it whilst we've been talking that um, I think one of the things that come up is I'm not who I thought I was. Yeah. These things are happening and I'm doing these things and they make me think, yeah, maybe I'm not who I am or who I think I am and then I get really anxious about that. But what am I doing? Who have I become? And can you, can yeah. you imagine coming to a peaceful feeling mm about just being much more mysterious to yourself. Yeah. Like releasing those pictures, releasing how you thought it should play out, how your life might look at this moment mm. or at this stage. Mm. Really releasing it. And, you know, a lot of what, we're, what we labor with is the conditioning of how others see us and how... Mm how, what kind of importance we might feel about our life or how it's looking or there's a way in which we feel that the world is judging us. Yeah. And it may not be the case. It may not be that you're being judged by the world. Mm. It may be mostly in your imagination that that is happening, yeah. right? Yeah. I always like to point out to people, 
other people are really not thinking about you that much. (laughs) 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 So to really um, free yourself of that burden as well, Mm. you know, that you, it doesn't have to look any particular way. It really matters not in the big scheme of things. And, to be more and more a mystery to your own self. Hi, Hi. Catherine. Hi, dear. Um, so the biggest point of resistance ongoingly for me in my life, I have two young children, age three and six, and it's like... It's like I'm trying to escape them, not physically, well, sometimes physically as well, but it's like my nervous system basically feels fried. Yeah. Do Um, you have help at all? Do you have a partner? Yeah. Yeah, so I don't have them all the time, and I work, and I have space from them. Yeah. Um, But it's like, you know, even just three or four hours in their company, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, what time's bedtime? You know, that in itself, and then all the judgment that gets laid on top of that yeah. as well. Um, yeah, like, I, I had them for, like, four days on the school holidays, and that was just, like, you know, but it's just massive, like, the, the craving for space, silence, quiet, stillness. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a huge job to be a full-time mom and be working. Um, It's huge. Uh, No wonder you're tired (laughs) and um, want quiet Mm. and want space. I see other people manage it, though. I see other people have spaciousness with their children. But they're not you, and right? And... you know the thing with with we're we're each very we're each built very differently, and some nervous systems are just more uh, sensitive, you know, and some nervous systems get tired more easily, mm. right? Mm. And it sounds like you have one of those. It probably has nothing to do with how much you love those children. Mm. It doesn't signify that you love them less than other mothers who are with them all the time and juiced by it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's that you're you're a different creature. Mm. Right? So how do I survive this? <laughs> I would recommend that you you have to be you know, putting just put aside mm. the um story about you being in some way uh failing as a mother or any kind of comparing to other mothers, but rather just address the situation as best you can. That means you're going to have to find ways to get t- time out for yourself. So that has that. Just use all the attention and energy for that purpose. Just acknowledge the situation, and know that that is actually going to allow you to be much more present with them when you're with them. Right? You're not going to be the exhausted version of yourself. You're going to be the you know, the excited version of yourself, happy to be with them. Um, so I would just say, handle it on a very practical level. 
if you can. Ask your friends. Find places that you can go where or take them where they can be kind of running about on their own with other kids or just have it as your new focus that you acknowledge you happen mm. to be a mother that needs a bit more time out especially as you work mm. um because mm. i find i naturally it's like i'm always looking for the escape hatch in some way like yeah. my house is spotless when i have my children i'm cleaning just so that i'm not so that I, that can be a barrier yeah. of I'm doing this so you can't constantly, I yes. can't engage in yeah. those demands yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's to, you, ha- you have to come to terms with your own authenticity in this mm. and not make it wrong, mm. right? You're feeding and clothing and loving your children, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. it sounds like they live in a clean town ta- a clean house as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you have to also mm. take the caretaker has to be taken care of as well. Mm. And you have to acknowledge this is how you are. Mm. Right? You don't have to make an apology about it. This is how you are. Mm. And you have certain needs that you have to address in order to do your job. Mm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's those layers of judgment that's actually yes. the most suffocating. Yes, and they're exhausting. Mm. You know? Yeah. They actually, pre- they actually create a kind of tension, mm. you know, that mm. is like a, a, a slow leak inside mm. of you. It leaks out your energy. It also leaks out your ability to express love, Mm. right? Mm. Not that the love is not there, but just that there's not much energy for it Mm. Um, when when there's an internal battle of sorts Mm. and self-judgment like that, Mm. you know? So I would say surrender that one and and work with what's true, Mm. right? I do that in my life. I always, always have done, actually. My question feels a bit lightweight compared to um, some of the sharing, I think. But nonetheless, it's where I am. Yeah. So in terms of dealing with anxiety and the dark car, if this current, I'm sorry, anxiety in... And the, and the darker feelings, okay. if you like. At this current point in time, it might be different tomorrow, it might be different next time, who knows, but at this current point of time, I actually feel like I have some capacity to move away, right? More capacity than I ever have had, yeah? But if something else is happening... Um, and it, it, it's hard to describe because when I'm saying it, when I'm saying it, it's going to sound like a good thing. And it, it sort of is a good thing, but um, excitement, right? So you know what I've been doing, yeah. yeah? And it's like I can't put it down, yeah? <coughs> so it gets me and it winds me up and it's exciting and it's good, you know, it's this hobby that I have, Right. And it gets me going and then it's like like 
sometimes I can't sleep. Like, so days go by on two hours, three hours sleep. Like, like I can't, I, I, I can't sort of settle myself. I'm completely not used to dealing with excitement. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole, it's a new thing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm very, like, I'm, I'm, I, I don't have my hand, hands on the controls at all on right. this one. Yeah. Right. Well, what's the problem part? Well, because I feel like I'm maybe exhausting myself. I feel, I feel like I'm worried about my adrenals. Like, I, um, I'm not suffering yet, but I'm wondering if I'm going to get really whacked. I'm not used to sleeping so little and um, being so obsessive. You know, uh-huh. so um, I'm concerned about. You know, maybe it's twofold. Maybe maybe there's two aspects of this. One, I'm a little bit concerned about my health, and maybe there's a little bit of a spiritual voice saying <laughs> you should be being calmer. Uh-huh. You know, you know, calm is the right way to be. And I'm too excited. You know, this excitement is sort of. Not very spiritual. Do you know what I mean? I see. It's very worldly. Uh-huh. And not very spiritual. I mean, it could be that too. There's a bit of a two angles on it. I see, yeah. But it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's like exciting, but it's uncomfortable. Yeah, you know? all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, I'm going to say, uh, you know, surrender the spiritual uh, yeah. pressure. Yeah. Um, Enjoy if you're. It's an excite. I know what you're speaking about, and it's a, it's a happy excitement. Mm. Um, so enjoy the, those. Don't come along so easily no. in the world. <laughs> Definitely enjoy. Um, of course, you know everything's impermanent. So you know everything. Everything comes to a an end at some point. Um, but enjoy the ride. With one eye knowing, you know, with one part of the awareness knowing that this is a, a ride, it's it's not a forever ride. Um, yeah, and if you get tired, most likely you're, I mean, at the point of real exhaustion, your body will want to sleep, you know. I understand the the dilemma that you're, you know, I can understand that there would be these voices of... Um, you know, am I getting too wrapped up in something quite worldly? Mm. Um, but definitely surrender those, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. It's a it's a play, it's it's a Leela, you know, and um it's a, it, you know, it's some version of falling in love, isn't it? Mm. Mm. It's mm. the kind of way that mm. falling in love becomes it takes over the whole screen yes. of the of yes. the attention. Yes, that's very true. You know. Yeah. So it's yeah. kind of like that, um, and it's it's understandable and appropriate that you would be feeling this kind of excitement. Mm. Yeah. So. Just enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is such a voice in me around who I'm supposed, you know, oh. that's who I'm supposed to be spiritually. I know. It's, like, it's such a, it's like, comes to, it's always there sort of, yeah. It's so boring actually. I know. Yeah, yeah that, that it's definitely being, having to be spiritual is incredibly boring. <laughs> <laughs> And having to be around spiritual people also. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, no. 
you know, you've heard me say, speak about how um, Alan Watts talks about being a divine rascal, you know? And I just love that. I love, I, I think I'm more embracing the rascality part over, the, <laughs> over time. <laughs> yeah. No, just enjoy wherever you can find something that gives you, that lights you up, right? I say just celebrate it. The thing is, you know, you've, you've lived long enough and have been paying attention long enough to know how fleeting it is, you know? Like Blake said, kiss the joy as it flies, you know? You're just, that's all we can do. You kiss it as it's flying by, you know? And there's something incredibly poignant when you are experiencing very intense pleasure or an intense moment of love or an intense phase of something exciting happening, it is this double-edged sword that's piercing your heart. That on one hand, it's like just blasting it open into like, wow, and suddenly the world looks different. And then there's this other part, the wisdom part that knows I will have to say goodbye to this fun fair. (laughs) Seeing myself down the road here, talking about this in a whole different way. (laughs) We'll get there when we get there. (laughs) In the meantime, we're going to just enjoy. Well, I'm really curious what Michael's hobby is, you know. <laughs> you can talk to him later. I've, I've been thinking, what is he doing? You know? <laughs> I know. I'm sure everyone wants to know. <laughs> you can ask him later. But, yeah, I will. And, but, uh, and I was thinking about times when, you know, I've, I've been like that. I've got into a project. It, it's often something like, you know, doing some computer music thing late at night or something, and you know, where where you lose time and you just go on and on and on. And you think, oh my god, it's three o'clock. I have mm-hmm. to go to bed, yeah. or something like that. I mean, it's just relating to the things that have excited me, um, and how thinking about that and seeing that and remembering that like you're so sort of into it for a while, but then it it comes to a point where suddenly something occurs and like it's just over and somehow um that's it and and somehow not it's not so much what you're doing but it's the fact that it's giving you this energy for life or the energy the eros the eros Uh, yeah and it can be many things not just a project just an idea yes about oh we're going to do this holiday you know oh and and oh let's start doing research and preparing and was we've got this idea oh yes that'll be a great idea let's do that and then suddenly you've you've got this project suddenly and then you're getting excited about that and it's just giving you or giving me um it's giving me life somehow and yes. excitement and it's the, it's it's very human isn't it that we we like to have things to look forward to we like to picture things uh, ourselves in certain situations where we imagine we'll be feeling great and you know perhaps happier or excited or whatever it's very very human to 
engage in all of that and and there's really nothing wrong with it especially if you can reserve some portion of your attention to be truly enjoying exactly where you are at the moment right mm -hmm. i was thinking about my turkeys the other day my bush turkeys <laughs> my little teachers and how you know their life is really just basically that forest they don't travel too far afield um you know and it's Uh, you know, it's a fairly contained uh, geographical space of a life, you know. And how different we are as humans, how different, how big our appetites are, right? How big our needs are, how many, especially in our modern time when people are able to travel. And so their bucket lists are very, very long about all the places they want to go and the things they want to do and what they want to see and all of those things, you know. Um, I was just reflecting on the difference of the two species, you know, how, how in a way hard it is to satisfy humans in any kind of ongoing way. And some sort of recognition of like, okay, well, that's so, that's how it is with we humans. Um, can that little program or that big program be overridden or tempered in any way? I say yes, it actually can. You don't really have to fulfill every single thing on the bucket list, right? Or you could even take some things off. Um, and, and really get into whatever few things might be left, right? Really, you know, my point always is to love the life you have, you know? Just really love your life, really know this moment is as precious as any other, right? that this moment is pretty fabulous and to really have that inclination to, to keep that in the, in the awareness somehow lightly um, so that even though there's something you look forward to and there's, you know, pictures of that eventuality or that possibility, <laughs> um, You know, that, that, that that's okay, that's allowed uh, in the big scheme of things, but that a great preponderance of the attention is hanging out right where you are, enjoying. And maybe even a little insight that says, actually, I don't know that that moment is going to be, you know, what I imagine it to be, right? That other moment in the future, right? Mm. Haven't we had that? experience <laughs> where something we were looking forward to didn't turn out exactly like our pictures of it <laughs> and that the, that the place we were sitting when we were picturing, picturing it might have been just perfectly fine you know <laughs> yeah I think a lot of the times the enjoyment is actually in the acquiring well that's well, actually once it's acquired mm. Then, well, that, then immediately you're looking for the next thing. It's shown in neuro, you know, to in neurochemistry and yeah. neuroscience. They actually show that the anticipatory chemicals for um, the brain chemicals that are in uh, anticipation are actually like the, whatever the, uh, the happy chemicals are, whether it's dopamine or serotonin or whatever, they're actually just as high as the eventuality of the, of the experience. Or even better, I think. Yeah, in some cases they do through are higher. Experience, one, through experience, you know, one can see that it's often better. The, yeah, <laughs> the, right, right. But then when, it sort of makes the case for having anticipatory 
uh, <laughs> things that you're looking forward to, um, which I say is fair enough. It's fine. We, we, we as humans do that. And, you know, we don't have to be chained to the now, you know, like one of the, one of the things, uh, one of the tropes in spiritual scenes, of course, is be here now, right? Um, <clears throat> and, and some people have, I think, misread that into this almost like this fascist thing of like, you know, just a constant reduction of only that, you know, and uh, any other straying out of that is not okay, right? Whether it's in, in excitement about things or, or just future looking, right? One of the treasures of my, of my uh, material existence is a letter that Punjaji sent to me on the back of a letter I had sent to him, <laughs> as was his way, he would sometimes, if you wrote to him back in the days when you actually wrote letters or faxes, um, he would often write you a letter back on the back of the letter you wrote. He was a kind of natural ecologist, Punjaji. But anyway, uh, he wrote me a letter that started, the first line of it is, my dear daughter Catherine, do you know how much I miss you? And what's so dear about that is that obviously he wasn't sitting around missing me in the days, right? He wasn't, that wouldn't have been <laughs> likely. But in the moments of him writing to me, I imagined that there was just some picture of a, of a time past or a possible time to come where we might be in the same room together again. That's what we mean when we say we're missing someone, right? We're missing their company. We're missing being in the room with them. And so it was either a little past memory of our pleasant times in the past or a future picture of another possibility of time together. And I so loved that. You know, I so loved the honesty and the sweetness and also, of course, the freedom of him being able to just say it that way, knowing that it was probably just a momentary passing in, the mo you know, in that particular writing of those lines. <laughs> yeah. That's very nice. Yes, that's lovely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it's true because you... He wasn't thinking about you, but when you contacted him, he just said, oh, yes, of course. Yeah, uh, I remember her. I like yes. her. I like her. Oh, yes, I'd like to see her. <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice. You just only say in the moment. You yeah, know, and then yeah. he just tells you. Ex yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and, it, and something yeah. about that interchange has given me a kind of freedom to say those kinds of things often with people. Um, I often will be writing to someone and say, oh, I, I really miss you. And it's that I'm missing them right then. It's not a general state. <laughs> I've got a question, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it out right. Um, I'm very interested in what you were talking about with the Eros and the Thantos. And um, I work with a lot of people who are in that destructive and even often the death impulse. Addicts. And addicts, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and, of course, I've had my own journey there too in terms of understanding those impulses. Sure. And 
I like what you say about finding the peace. Of course, there is a deep manure and insight and things like this. But I find, I guess my question is partly to do with myself. Like, am I putting my attention on that death impulse by continuing to work with people in that cycle? Like, how do I bring that peace in when the people I'm with can't find that peace? So I'm continually, and then even if they do, the next person's waiting in line to bring me back. So, yeah. yeah. Do you, are you finding it is dragging you down or are you finding, or, or is your question that how can I, uh, how can I dare to have peace when so many, no, it's not, not that. No, I'm daring to have as much peace as I can yeah, get. Yeah, okay. No. It's so, more um, how can I abandon these people? I see. And shouldn't I be trying to bring them to that and <clears throat> cultivating that um, and certainly that at times happens and that's really beautiful and precious, but a lot of times it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So are you asking... Are, Maybe I'm asking, should I be trying harder and is there a way that I can bring people to that more? I, guess. I would say not trying harder is a better way to go. Um, to really understand that all you can do is offer your uh, insight, your understanding your compassion, um, you offer it without expectation of, of change of, on their part. That part is not your business. You only have to be a flower that's exuding its own fragrance. You don't have to do anything more than that. See, if I had the idea that I had to help people and change them when I come in and sit in these kind of chairs... I, I just wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> right? Um, uh, that would be way too much pressure and too much, too much investment that would in, impact and would actually interfere with um, anything that would be coming through. There would be too much uh, pressure. There would be... There's a fantastic... Um, poem by Chong Su, one of the great Chinese Taoist philosophers. Um, the translation that I like the most is called the, the Need to Win. And it's about an archer when he's shooting, when he's shooting uh, for a goal as opposed to when he's just sh- shooting for the clear target. If there's a goal in mind, as, as according to this poem, he almost becomes crazy, Right? So if your goal, if you have a goal of changing this person, helping them, you know, that, that, that at least that they don't get worse, even that, right, is too much. It'll, it'll, it'll skew your aim, right? And it will, it becomes paralyzing. So, and disappointing often. Because you've taken too much on as your responsibility it's hard enough to change oneself, as we know, right? So all you can do is your existence offers a possibility. Your very existence, right, offers a possibility and in addition offers compassion. That's well enough. That's enough that you have to offer, right? Yeah, that's very really helpful. Thank you. Yeah.
if there came a point when, maybe not for those reasons, but for other reasons, you start feeling drained, dragged down, start feeling off balance yourself, then that's something to look at in terms of making a change. But if, if the only issue is that you have this wish or hope or, you know, frustration, um, that I think can be addressed. I also have an aspect of whether I'm really growing in that or whether I'm just repeating the same thing, you know, and doing that kind of work. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think there's a kind of entropy in it of repeating and then you'll you'll know when that if that becomes acute and mm. you feel okay my work here is done mm. Mm. um then you will make a change mm. yeah i had a situation it was a long time ago really long time ago um i was in my i guess i was in my late 20s and i had gone through a hospice training at a hospital in boston and um, at the end of the training, we were, all the students were being assigned to various facilities uh, to, start, to start working. So I went to the psychiatrist who was the head of the training. I went to him and I said, you know, I want to be assigned to um, children's, to the children's ward. Um, so he said, oh, you want the easy one. You want the easy way out. I said, dying children is the easy part. And he said, he said actually, working with dying, it's, it's the parents that's hard around children. But actually, the children themselves are not, they're not as freaked out and depressed. And they're, he said, you, you know, you'd be surprised, but that's just how it is. Everyone around them is off the rails. He said, no, no, I'm going to assign you to a different group that I think is more appropriate. So he, he assigned me to a facility where there were all people my own age in their 20s who had terminal illnesses. Um, so I started going to that, hosp that hospice care place. And it was so intense for me um, and so depressing and... I started to, to develop physical aversions uh, when I would drive up to the place. I started feeling nauseous. It came to a point where my, my body was basically just in rebellion. And as I'd be walking into the, into the facility, I'd, I'd be feeling a headache coming on and nausea. <laughs> um, and as soon as I got in and smelled the place, I, I was just battling with my own physical symptoms. Now. I was much younger, and I don't know if that would be the case now. I suspect not, because there's been a lot of letting go in the interim. But at that point in my life, I wasn't ready, and I had to quit. I, I had to quit after having done that training, and I quit the whole thing. And I was driving back from that facility, having made the decision, and... As I was driving back that last time, I literally went deep inside myself and I said to myself, well, what would you love to do? What would you want to do? And I, this thought came through. Is I, wanted, I want to pick my own mentors in this world. I'd like to be able to find my own mentors 
and have one-on-one -on -one conversations, like get private mentorship. And I thought, well, that's a ridiculously ambitious thing. But how could it happen? If, I, if it were to happen, how could it happen? And I thought, well, if I were a journalist, maybe if I was a journalist, and then I could have access. So I thought, okay, well, then I'll become a journalist, and I'll specialize in the kind of conversations that would give me access to those kinds of people. So I just backed into it. And I remember I, would, I, I began telling people I was going to be starting to do this. And everybody was discouraging because I was in my late 20s. I hadn't gone to college. I mean, I remember one of my friends clearly said, do you realize you're in competition with all the graduates from the Columbia School of Journalism that are way younger and have just graduated from, I mean, and every other school of journalism in the country. But, you know, I just said, well, you know, I'm going to do this. <laughs> so, uh, weirdly, some opportunities came along, and of course, I had to be watching for them um, and seize them. Um, I had, it, this is back in the 70s, and I had, along the way, I had, um, I had started using spirulina, right? And then I had, then it, and hardly anyone had ever heard of spirulina then. Um, and I had gotten signed up on a, on a, what is it called, a pyramid thing of sales, a sales pyramid thing as a spirulina representative. <laughs> And somebody down line from me had gone just wildly crazy with it and was just selling it off the shelves. So I was getting these checks in the mail for, you know, to my time, a good amount of money, like $1,200 checks out of the blue in the 70s. That was a lot of money. And so I knew there was this, this conference coming up in Bombay and that everybody in the day was going to be there. It was, it was a convergence between science and wisdom. So all these new scientist types like Rupert Sheldrake and Fritjof Capra and all these guys who were thinking in new ways about science and the merger with spirituality. And then all these heavyweight spiritual teachers were also going to be there. And, um, and so I thought to myself, well, if I went to this conference and did a bunch of interviews at the conference, if I could get access, um, you know, that could be the start. So I, I knew some friends at New Age Journal. I contacted them and told them I was going to go to this conference, and would they be interested in an article or some interviews? And they said, yeah, yeah, maybe. Let's see what you can bring back. I said, okay, can I get a press pass? I mean, can I get a letter from you to get a press pass? So... They wrote me a letter on New Age Journal stationery, and I showed up at the conference, which was it, it was an expensive conference. Um, and I showed up at the press table and showed them my letter, and they gave me a press pass and, of course, a free entry. And so, with this, I just was wearing a press pass. I had access to anyone there, everyone there. So I was able in one fell swoop to do lots of interviews right there at this one conference. 
which I then took back and started publishing. And then I started doing more and more and more interviews. And it just rolled out that way. You know, it was this weird kind of transition into this new career. But it all kind of started from that day, that recognition of me saying, okay, what would I like to do? What, what is my heart calling at this time in a real way? And it was just step by step by step. Yeah. And trust. And by the way, I mean, this was not a money-making venture. It was, it was uh, my life in all the years of, of my being a journalist, 12 years, um, it was really hand-to-mouth, you know. It was really hand-to-mouth. But I had private access to any mind on the planet that I really wanted to be in the room with alone. I had access including, you know, Krishnamurti and Desmond Tutu, the Dalai Lama several times, one-on-one. Punjaji, when I decided I wanted to study with Punjaji, I just, I got an assignment from Yoga Journal. I went there. I had six private hours, you know. It was like that. It was just, I really, whenever I wanted to be studying a new thing, um, that gave me the kind of access I was looking for. And then it was a privilege to then um, publish the ideas. When I first met Punjaji, there weren't that many people there, but after the article that I did about him came out, it exploded. Um, so like that, it, it was a privilege to be in that kind of catalyst position. So I'm saying this long story by way of saying um, to keep attuned to your own well-being, to your own feeling. It's, it's not dissimilar to what I'm saying to you as well, to, to keep attuned to your own authentic need without an uber judge saying, oh, but it's the good work and I'm helping. Believe me, I was struggling with that when I was there doing that hospice work and thinking, well, if, if I don't do this job, who's going to do the job, right? Um, right? <laughs> but, there's loads of people who actually do it, but yes, in your head you don't. That's do right. That. There's, and there's loads of people who can do it in fullness and be lit up by it. I couldn't. But I found something that I could be, and in a different way to serve. This has been In the Deep. You can find the entire list of In the Deep podcasts at katherineingram.com, where you can also book a private session by phone or Skype and see my schedule of upcoming events, such as our spectacular retreats in October of 2018 in Italy or in New Zealand in May of 2019. If you're a regular listener, please consider making either a one-time or a recurring tax-deductible donation in any amount that is comfortable for you. Till next time. <laughs>